I love you, Lord. Lord, we love you. We love you because you did what we could never do. You went to the cross. You endured our pain. You endured our suffering, our judgment. Also, we could have life. Thank you for loving us so. Lord, we pray now for this sermon, this message. May you speak through me. May it not be a message of my will, but may it be a message of your will. May you open up our ears, our minds, our very souls, our hearts to hear what you want us to hear. And Lord, may you be glorified in all things, but also may the saints be edified. May your believers be ever growing in the knowledge of you. And may the lost be found. And it's in your holy and powerful name we pray now. And all God's people said, Amen. Amen. Well, thank you once again for being with us here this morning. And we're going to have quite a few um, scripture references today, so I'll just read them to you. But you're welcome to have a pen, a piece of paper, if you want to be able to write them down. Allow me to start this morning with reading the words to the Apostles' Creed to you. And we read this. It's on the screen for you to follow along. I believe in God the Father Almighty, creator of the heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, dead, and buried. He descended to hell. The third day he rose again from the dead. He ascended to heaven and sits on the right hand of the Father Almighty, whence he shall come to judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. Amen. Today we return to our series in the Creed where we're talking about what do we believe as Christians? What do we believe as Christ followers? Now, we've already talked a lot about what we believe this morning as we've practiced this communion. And as we've taken the bread and we've taken the cup. But can you really explain to somebody what you believe? Now, maybe these statements we just read that you just heard, maybe they're new to you. It's so great. Dig into them. Maybe there's something that you've heard before. Maybe there's something that grew up, you grew up your entire lives hearing. Well, if so, I still encourage you, I still challenge you to dig deep in them and think about it this week. What does this statement mean for you in your life? Does your life illustrate this statement? Can people see this statement living in you? Allow these statements to challenge you. As we study the creed... I do not preach the creed, I preach God's word, and we allow the creed to be like a trampoline and jump us into scripture. Now, you've heard a lot of this before, but I I felt like I need to remind you because it's been over a month since we've been in this series as we took a break for Christmas time and the holidays. But we come back to this thought of what do you believe and could you explain what you believe to the average person on the street? Do you know what you believe in such a way that you're not just living your life one day at a time based off your will, but on the will of God and on the knowledge you have from His Word? Do you know it so well that you can explain it to the average person? What do we believe? Now, I want to start today with the statement about Jesus ascending to heaven and sitting at the right hand of God. And to start, let's start with a joke. I don't do this very often, and normally you guys laugh, not because my joke is funny, but because it's kind of like a dad joke. It's funny 
because of how dumb it is. So here's a, here's a joke for you. Why is God the Father only able to use his left hand? Because Jesus is sitting on his right hand. As soon as you're done laughing hysterically, we'll begin here. So we're talking this morning about this statement. He ascended to heaven and sits on the right hand of the Father Almighty. This often referred to as the session of Jesus, and it's one of the most remarkable yet confusing statements of the Apostles' Creed. It's one of great importance, yet it's one that's often tossed aside, ignored, or hidden because maybe we don't understand it. In fact, we have many Christian holidays as we celebrate the birth of Christ with Christmas. We celebrate Jesus' triumphant entry with Palm Sunday. We celebrate Jesus' suffering and death upon the cross with Good Friday. And then we celebrate Jesus' resurrection with Easter Sunday. But we don't often celebrate the ascension of Jesus. But I believe we should. In fact, there is an actual day which churches celebrate the Ascension Day, the Ascension of Jesus. And it's often the, called the 40th day of Easter, which is 39 days after Easter Sunday. We don't celebrate it. We don't generally remember it. But I do think we should. We tend not to think about it much, but it does have great meaning for us. Yes, we know Jesus was born of a virgin. He came to save us all. We know that Jesus suffered. We know that Jesus died. We know that Jesus rose again and had a new body. But what do we know about his ascension? What does this ascension mean for us today? Now, I want to plead with you that I think there's a very simple statement. The ascension of Jesus means everything. The ascension of Jesus means everything. Now, we'll get into this in a moment, but let me give you one scripture reference right off the bat. We have Hebrews 6, 19. To 20, where the author of Hebrews regarded the ascension of Jesus as an anchor for our souls. An anchor for our souls. Jesus Christ is in heaven rolling, interceding, anchoring our souls to the Father and to heaven for us, preparing a place for us. Jesus is seated in the highest place of authority in the universe. R.C. Sproul once said, In Christ's departure from this world, he left to go on a redemptive mission of liberation on behalf of his people. When Christ ascended, he went into the heavenly sanctuary to complete the work of redemption. He went not to leave a kingdom, but to assume a kingdom. He didn't leave a kingdom, he went to assume a kingdom. Another pastor said this, we Americans pride ourselves on living in a democracy. But as Christians, we live in a kingdom. One that is actively ruled by the king of kings, his reign is ongoing. Jesus is king at this moment. He is on his throne even now. Now, taking a step back, though, I understand, I want to reiterate, I understand that it's kind of a hard statement to understand. He ascended to heaven and sits on the right hand of the Father Almighty. In my notes, I put a, just a, a look of a, it's kind of crazy. In my sermon notes, a lot of times I put emojis, or I put smiley faces, I put sad faces, I put faces, I put this kind of, Confused face. Because we struggle to understand he ascended to heaven. What does this look like? What does it mean? How could this be that a human, that Jesus in this human body ascended to this place of heaven? 
to this place at the right hand of the Father Almighty. What does it mean that he's sitting at the right hand? Now, with Jesus' birth, with Jesus' death, with Jesus' life, we have a lot of scripture to help define what these things mean. With the ascension of Jesus, we do have a couple handfuls of scriptures that reference it. But it's often very brief in nature. Allow me to read some of them to you. I do think as we read them all together, it does help to paint a picture for us. Starting at Luke 24, 50 to 52. Luke 24, 50 to 52, where it says, When he had led them out of, to the vicinity of Bethany, he lifted up his hands and blessed them. While he was blessing them, he left them and was taken up into heaven. Then they worshipped him and returned to Jerusalem with great joy. Acts 1.9. Acts 1.9 says, After he said this, he was taken up before their eyes, and a cloud hid him from their sight. John 16.10. I am going to the Father where you can see me no longer. Where you can see me no longer. John 16.28. I came from the Father. And entered the world. Now I am leaving the world and going back to the Father. Ephesians 4.10. Ephesians 4.10. We have a great high priest who has gone through the heavens. Jesus, the Son of God. And just a couple more here. Hebrews 7.24-26. Hebrews 7.24-26 reads, Because Jesus lives forever, he has a permanent priesthood. Therefore, he is able to save completely those who come to God through him, because he always lives to intercede for them. Such a high priest meets our need, one who is holy, blameless, pure, set apart from sinners, exalted above the heavens. And finally, the last scripture here in this set is 1 Peter 3, 21 to 22. 1 Peter 3, 21 to 22, which reads, Jesus Christ has gone into heaven and is at God's right hand with angels, authorities, and powers in submission to him. There are some other scriptures which, which reference this great glorious event. But I can't read all of the Bible to you here today. But I hope that this does help to paint a little bit of a picture for you of what this would have looked like. Now I still do think that it's confusing. I think we can acknowledge that. We can understand that we don't understand all things, but there will be a day when we'll be in front of the Father, in front of Jesus, and we'll have new bodies, and we'll be in front of the one who created it all. In that day, we'll have an opportunity to understand more, but we'll also have an opportunity to just worship him forevermore. But we see this statement, he ascended to heaven and sits on the right hand of the Father Almighty. I think the first thing to recognize is the most obvious thing. Jesus ascended into heaven. Jesus ascended into heaven. Now, at first, this might seem like a very bad thing. In fact, even the disciples didn't understand these things at all times. At times, they're saddened by this idea. Why would you leave me? Why would you leave me? I think at times we think these very same thoughts as we think, why did Jesus have to go to heaven? I just wish that we could be back in that day and live with Christ. To be back that day, to be in his presence, to be able to hear him teach, to preach, to be able to see his healings, to be able to learn directly under him. But then we see that his disciples, when he was called up to heaven, were filled with joy. 
Luke 24, 50 to 52 tells of this event. We read it. But don't miss that final statement of Luke 24, 50 to 52, which says, And his disciples were filled with joy as he left them. The disciples were filled with joy, even though John 16, 10 states, Jesus has gone to be with the Father, and we can see him no longer. I mean, that's kind of the opposite of what you'd think, isn't it? You'd think that they'd be sad. They've had Jesus with them all this time, and now he's left their side. How could they be filled with joy? How could they be filled with joy? Well, it's because of Jesus' ascending into heaven that Jesus is no longer limited to one area of ministry. They were blessed, and they also knew that by Jesus ascending up to heaven, they would soon be given a helper for their lives. The Holy Spirit would come upon them and would give them many gifts and would bless them greatly. Now, we're not going to talk much about the Holy Spirit today because that's going to come in a few weeks, but I do want to get to point one, and that's this. Looking to Jesus and his ascension into heaven, we can see that Jesus is now everywhere. Jesus is everywhere. We do not need to wear those 1990s bracelets saying, WWJD, what would Jesus do? Because now we can go beyond that thought, and in essence, we could wear a different bracelet. Instead, WWJD, it could say WIJD. What is Jesus doing? What is Jesus doing? You see, Jesus is everywhere and still actively working in lives today. Jesus is Savior, but he's no longer limited to this one area of ministry. Jesus has returned to heaven, and he is no longer limited. In fact, he is now limit, liberated from all time and space limitations. Have you ever wished you could spend more time with him? Let's just spend a moment on this side note. I mentioned this. I think you all would agree that sometimes you just wish you could be in his presence, face to face. Maybe there's moments in your life where you've thought, if only I could see him, if only I could talk to him, if only I could see Jesus in person, if only I could ask him, how do I get past this problem in my life? How do I get over this depression? How do I get over this anger? How do I get over this loss of a loved one? How do I get past this pain? In my life? How do I help bless this person in my life that's always rejecting me? How do I love my enemies? How do I love those who are always persecuting me, hating on me, talking behind my back? How do I spread your gospel to all nations when the nations don't seem to want to hear it? It would be wonderful to see him. It's not wrong to feel that way. But then we need to remember what Jesus said when he said, It is better for you that I go away. You see, as long as Jesus stayed on this earth, he was limited. But once he went up to be at the Father's side, at his right side, at his right hand, he was no longer limited. Now that he's been gone back to heaven, his words have literally come true. And by sending his Holy Spirit to us, he is now with us all the time. Jesus is everywhere. Matthew 28, 20 says, Surely I am with you always, to the very end of the age. And we can have jo great joy in that statement. How good is it to know that the Lord Jesus is with us everywhere we go. He's looking down upon us and can see us everywhere we go. When we fall asleep, he is there. 
When we fall, he is there. When we stumble, he's there. When we think he has left us, he is there. When we doubt him, he's still there. When we forget him, he's still there opening his arms up for us to remember him. When we give in to temptation, he's still there to forgive us and to lift us back up and to help bring us back into the light. Just when we need him most, Jesus is always there. Next, we see the ne this next thing. Looking to Jesus and his ascension, him being in heaven, we see Jesus is king. Sitting at the right hand of the Father Almighty, Jesus rules as an equal king at his side. The New Testament explains that he is exalted, he is glorified, he is enthroned. In the ancient world, back in time, when a king wished to honor somebody, he would offer them a seat at his right hand. And that seat was the highest seat, the greatest honor, and the supremest, if I can make up that word, the supremest of glory that the king could offer to anyone, to sit at his right side next to him at the throne. Our Lord is now seated at the Father's right hand at a place of glory and supreme honor and authority. It is a permanent place in heaven. And when he returned in triumph, he was given a permanent place. You see, he returned in triumph because he has triumphantly conquered his mission. He conquered our, son, our sin. And as the son went back up to the father, the father said, here is your rightful place next to me. At the right hand. We should celebrate this event. You know, we talked at the beginning about the holidays, which we often celebrate as Christians. Well, there's other holidays we celebrate as just the world does. Martin Luther King Jr. Day. Um, we celebrate independence from the world powers on Independence Day. But why do we not celebrate the independence that we have from Satan and the world of sin through Christ's reigning as a king. Like I said, we often forget about Jesus ascending to the right hand of God because maybe we don't think we understand it. But we can understand these three simple principles. By Jesus ascending to heaven, Jesus being in heaven, Jesus is everywhere, Jesus is king, and then lastly, third, looking to Jesus, we see that Jesus is our forever great high priest. Jesus is our forever great high priest. Now that he's in heaven, he's interceding for us with the Father. You see, the word intercede means to speak up on the behalf of someone else. Romans 8.34 says, Who is to condemn? Christ Jesus is the one who died. More than that, who was raised, who is at the right hand of God, and indeed interceding for us. There's also more scripture in Hebrews 7, 24 to 26, Hebrews 4, 14, and others. But we have the scripture illustrating Jesus is at the Father's side, interceding for us, speaking on our behalf, giving us mercy, giving us grace, and anchoring our very souls to the Father and to heaven. Another pastor said it this way. I believe this was Ray Pritchard said, Christ is now in heaven praying for us. What a marvelous thought this is, and what a balm for troubled souls. When I'm down in the dumps, Jesus prays for me. When I falter under the load, Jesus prays for me. When my faith go, gives away, Jesus prays for me. When I fight a losing battle against temptation, 
Jesus prays for me. Jesus sits at the right hand of God, ruling over all creation in a place of great honor. But he's not just thinking about himself. He's not just focused on himself. Oh, look, look where I'm sitting. I'm back at my rightful place. I've left those people. No, he's always thinking of these people as a great high priest, accepting our sacrifice of our lives, accepting the great sacrifice of his life, and forgiving us of our sins always. He works on your behalf. He loves you and helps you. You see, Jesus sits at the great throne, the right hand of God, ruling over all creation. Everywhere is king and the great high priest. And as we start to close, I want to give you this point. We need to look to Jesus with our lives. Look to Jesus with our lives. The ascension shows us how we should spend our life. The ascension shows us we should be spending our lives looking up to him. Don't spend your life looking down. Don't spend your life looking down and around and living in the dumps and looking at the world and wishing you were somewhere else. But instead, live your life looking up to Jesus. Focus on the eternal blessing that you have in him. We may not see him with our eyes any longer. We may not be in his presence right now like the disciples. But we know where he is and we know where we someday will be. We know because of his great victory over sin. We know because of his ascension into heaven and sitting at the right hand of the Father. That Jesus delivers hope and comfort to our lives. Jesus in the ascension delivers hope and comfort to our lives. It's because of him sitting at the right hand of the Father Almighty. That he's anchoring our very souls to him. We can look forward to the todays. We can look forward to the tomorrows. Because we don't have to look backwards at the yesterdays. Because he's already covered our yesterdays with his love. Look to Jesus with our life. And shape our lives after his life. He will be coming back to, for you again. Honor him this day. Each day and every day until that day comes. Colossians 3, 1 to 5, tells us this. Colossians 3, 1 to 5. If then you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above, where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your mind on things that are above, not on things of the earth. For you have died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. Put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you, sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, and covetousness, covetousness, which is idolatry. Now, the scripture goes on, and it can list a lot of different things we're supposed to be putting aside. And it goes on to list things we should be remembering as we look upwards to Christ, as we look to the new life we have in him. We don't look at the fact that we're buried, burdened by our own sins, burdened by our own depressing thoughts and angers and frustrations because we can look up to the victory that Christ has already had for us. We can look up at realizing that we will live in glory with him. For all of our days, we will live in glory with Christ Jesus our Lord. That is what you have to live for. That is what you have to share. Remember the redemptive power of his ascension and remember that we are called to have a new attitude as Christians. 
We're told to look up to Christ. We're told and we have a responsibility as followers of his to go out to all nations proclaiming the gospel, proclaiming the good news, and making disciples. You can't make disciples as long as you're too focused looking upon yourself. We need to look up to Jesus. Look up to the ascension of Jesus that delivers hope and comfort to our lives. But it doesn't just deliver hope and comfort to our lives. It delivers hope and comfort to a world that needs it. In fact, if I could add just one more point, it would be this. Jesus is preparing a place for you. Jesus is preparing a place for you. And you know what? It's not just you. It's other people in this world. And God wants to use you to point their ways upwards to him. Christ has conquered. He has won the victory and defeated every enemy, every foe, defeated This is what we mean when we say he ascended into heaven and sits at the right hand of the God, the Father Almighty. You see, yes, we needed Jesus to be born. We needed Jesus to suffer and to live a life without sin, to suffer on the cross, to die for us, to resurrect from the dead, being victorious over sin. But we also needed him to ascend to the Father's side so that he would not be limited by space and time But instead, we would all have a hope and a comfort, a joy, which goes to all the world as he rules from God's right side over all of creation. Take great joy in knowing that though his physical presence may have left you for now, we will always forevermore have a spiritual presence of him and his Holy Spirit and God the Father in our life. Let's close in prayer and you'll be dismissed to children's children's church. Yes, to get your kids to Sunday school. Lord, we thank you for this day and we thank you for this great word which you've given us to remind us of the hope and comfort that we can have in knowing that you have ascended and you are sitting at the right hand of the Father as King. Lord, you're at your rightful place and as you left to be with the Father and you left our side, we 